Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fishery science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FisheriesPod. If you are the generous sort, you can be like Garrett, Ben, Jerry, Janet, Robin, and John, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you are able to support the show with either a recurring or one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, and stickers on our Teespring store if you feel inclined. Our guest today is Elise Hayden. Elise completed her undergraduate degree in biological sciences at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee with minors in French and conservation and environmental science. In addition to regular coursework, she worked as a lab technician at the School of Freshwater Sciences where she helped care for the Carvan Lab's zebrafish and fathead minnows. Following her graduation in 2019, Elise completed an internship at the Ryman Aquarium in Milwaukee, spent a year volunteering at the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, and worked as a project student at the Bimini Biological Field Station in the Bahamas. Now she is back in Milwaukee working as the husbandry and facilities manager at the Carvin Lab, as well as working to publish the work she did in Bimini on the local southern stingray population. In addition to putting out her first publication, Elise would like to attend graduate school in the near future and hopes to continue working in the field with sharks and rays throughout her research career. Welcome to the podcast, Elise. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it might just be uh, some of the people I've talked to on the podcast lately or uh, talked to uh, at conferences, but it seems like more and more people are picking up minors or double majors. I guess, what led you to picking up that minor in French? Um, Yeah, so I actually went to um, an immersion school starting at five years old. So I started learning French and English school at like the same time, pretty much. Um, So the minor for me just made sense. Um, I was already pretty high up with the the placement testing and things like that. So I just needed to take a few courses to get that minor. So it wasn't anything uh, career motivated? You You don't plan on going over to France and working with fish over there? It is nice to think that it could be an option. I'm open to it. And uh, French is, I think, by country, the second most spoken language in the world. Not by population, but by, like, countries that claim it as one of their official languages. So it has opened doors for me already, and I'm excited to see if I can use it more. Yeah, I guess you won't have to go to exclusively of France. You could go to eastern Canada. A lot Mm -hmm. of French speakers there. Yeah, Africa... You know, there's Asian French speakers too, so lots of possibilities there. We mentioned in the bio that um, while you were at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, you worked in the Carvin Lab taking care of the zebrafish and fathead minnows. I guess what type of projects did they have going on with with those fish? Yeah, so that lab is predominantly um, a toxicology lab. So there we're looking at um, the effects of lead, mercury, plastic, Um, and other environmental toxicants um, on specifically the behavior changes in zebrafish. So um, we're using zebrafish as a model organism, um, and some of them are genetically modified, and then we can look at, you know, how that gene expression is affected by exposure to those environmental toxicants. So then you're... Was your job in the lab mostly the, the just looking after the fish, or were you also taking part in some of these toxicology experiments that they're running? 
Um, as an undergrad, I wasn't doing much of the toxicology research um, because undergrads aren't always authorized to work with those kinds of chemicals, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I was doing a lot of husbandry work. Um, and then there was a bit of a genetics aspect to it as well. So we were making sure that the fish that we had in the lab actually had the genes that we were trying to test for. Um, so there was, you know, PCR and things like that, that I got to do while I was an undergrad in that lab. So then what, what connections or what paths eventually led you to the shed aquarium? Um, so actually I had moved to Chicago, um, shortly after graduating, um, in the hopes that I would find a research job there. Um, and then, and that was about January of 2020. So we all know what happened after that. Um, and I had started the application process to volunteer at Shed Aquarium in about March of that year. Um, but everything got shut down and they stopped taking new volunteers. Um, but yeah, I guess what got me started in that path of interest is just that I've always really liked the ocean and fish. And I thought, well, I'm in Chicago, I might as well see if I can, you know, spend some time over there <laughs> at the shed. Um, but luckily they were able to get me in over a year later, um, once they finally opened back up to volunteers and I got to do a whole year there, which was awesome. I'm assuming you're from Milwaukee. I am. Yeah. Yep. And then, so you worked with zebra fish and fathead minnows, kind of two research fish at the university of Milwaukee or university of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and then worked at the shed aquarium, uh, on a probably with a variety of fish there. I guess, what is it that got a Midwestern girl to hear about uh, and then gain a position at the Bimini Biological Field Station? Uh, I found out about the Bimini Shark Lab through a lot of Googling, uh, mainly like shark internship <laughs> and things like that. Um, I grew up really interested in sharks. I haven't, I've been asked this question all the time, like, oh, why? Like, what, what brought you to sharks? Cause I don't live, you know, I didn't grow up near the ocean. Um, and, uh, the answer is I'm not totally sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, ever since I was a kid, I've just really been interested in sharks. So even through university, I knew like I wanted to at least try to get into a shark somehow. Um, and I figured doing a shark related internship would be a good move for me. So yeah, I started applying to the shark lab in 2019, when I was getting ready to graduate. Um, and I didn't actually end up getting into the lab until June of 2020 was when I got accepted. So it took a couple of rounds of rejection, but ultimately ended up making my way there, which was awesome. Could you describe the, the Bimini Biological Field Station for, for those that are unfamiliar? I guess what type of program it is there? Yeah, so the Bimini Shark Lab is located on the island of South Bimini in the Bahamas. So Bimini is made up of two islands, North and South, um, and the South Island is where the Shark Lab is located. Um, it is a super small research station where you live with upward, you know, up to probably 20 people at a time. Um, and basically everybody's purpose there is shark and ray research. Um, 
And then there's also, you know, a huge outreach component there as well. They do a lot of um, online outreach and then they do a lot of community outreach um, on the island as well. Um, so when I was there, we didn't do a ton of that just because we didn't want to, you know, worry about spreading COVID anywhere. Um, but we did do a whole lot of in the field research with sharks and rays, which was really, really cool. Just to, to refresh people on the timeline, you graduated in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in Chicago during the heat of the pandemic in 2020. And then mm-hmm. you went down to Jamaica in 2021, correct? Um, I went to the Bahamas in um, October of 2020. So even sooner than I thought. October yeah. <laughs> of 2020. I guess, what was it like leaving the United States and going to a small island nation in the middle of the pandemic? Um, it was a lot of waiting around at first because when I originally was accepted to the position, um, I was supposed to go in June of 2020. Um, and around that time, travel was really uncertain. Uh, we were really back and forth about whether people were allowed into the Bahamas or not. And then whether, you know, if we did get into the country, whether we were allowed to like leave the lab at all, because there were, you know, lockdowns in place and everything was really variable (laughs) um, around that time. So in the months between June and October, when I actually went, it was a lot of like, okay, you know, be ready because we might send you an email saying you're going to be here in two weeks. (laughs) So especially during that time, I was also super careful about like where I went and who I was with because I didn't want to risk having COVID when they got that email Um, or, you know, having COVID not knowing it and bringing it to the island. Um, It was also a ton of COVID testing. Um, We got, you know, we did a quarantine in Florida. So I was in a, I was basically in a group with um, five other volunteers at the time and we all went in together. So we did a quarantine in Florida for a few days got tested there. And then we did a two week quarantine on the island, all in a house together. Um, And then, you know, when none of us were sick, we were able to move into the lab after that two week quarantine period. And luckily, nobody ended up um, in my group having COVID. So that went pretty smoothly. There wasn't anything like that. Um, But it was, yeah, a lot of just making sure nobody's sick at the time of travel and after travel and yeah, waiting around so that when you get to that station where you're living in tight living quarters with people that you're not spreading anything to anybody else. Yeah. And that was all a few months before vaccines were widely available for, for everybody. So it's even, even more caution. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So before we get into the fish side of things, uh, during your time at Bimini, uh, I guess I'll need you to come clean about something. Uh, yeah. I read a blog, a blog article that you wrote during your time there where you claimed that you were obsessed with birds. I do. I love <laughs> birds. <laughs> um, yeah. So actually, that's a great segue because during that two-week quarantine period that I mentioned, we all lived in a house together. And it wasn't like a super small house or anything. Like it was, you know, it was cozy and we were all having a good time but we couldn't really leave the house. Um, And the thing that changes the most around the house is 
the birds. <laughs> so I saw a ton of really cool birds while I was in that quarantine. And uh, that's kind of where I fell in love with birds, I guess. I also took an ornithology class in college, but I don't know. It didn't get me like seeing them in person. <laughs> I guess before we move on with the podcast, are you ready to, to now swear your undivided loyalty to Team Fish? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, so tell me about the Southern Stingray. I guess what sets them apart from others? And I guess, could you describe them a little bit first? Yeah. Southern Stingrays are, I guess, when you think of the word Stingray, like this is probably the one that you think of. Um, it doesn't have any like super awesome, like, you know, patterns or, it, you know, that define it like an Eagle Ray, for instance, would. Um, but they are typically, you know, gray to brownish in color. They can be white too. Um, they have, uh, you know, like all rays, their mouths are on the bottoms of their body and they've got spiracles up top and eyes on top. Um, and then they've got a barbed tail. Um, they can be anywhere between about 40 centimeters and something like 120, 150 centimeters wide from pectoral fin to pectoral fin. Um, so yeah, they can get pretty huge, um, but they're pretty calm, docile animals. Um, they spend a lot of their time hiding in the sand. Um, and I think they're pretty cute. <laughs> what were you looking at with those rays while you were down there in the in B- Bimini? Yeah, initially I had planned to do um, an acoustic telemetry project where I was putting tags on stingrays um, and then going out every day and using um, the telemetry equipment to listen for the tags. Um, We didn't end up getting enough data from that to actually really get as much, you know, we didn't get as much out of it as I thought we were going to. Um, so the project evolved into me analyzing, um, the long-term data set that the lab had collected on all the rays around the Island. So from all the various stingray projects or even like accidental stingray captures, um, I'm looking at the size, uh, size distribution of the rays. Um, I'm looking at different locations that we might find them, um, seeing how much they travel around the islands, um, and also seeing how much turnover there might be um, as far as, you know, are there stingrays, are there individual stingrays who are sticking around the islands? Are there rays who seem to be here once and then leave? Um, And kind of how long are they here? Um, and the data set spans five to six years. So it's been cool to kind of see that maybe we have a little resident stingray population. Going back to your acoustic telemetry stuff, were these externally attached transmitters? And after that, from your information that you did get, was there any kind of interesting things that you picked out that just wasn't quite enough to, to make a project out of? Yeah, so they were externally attached um, acoustic transmitters. Um, we actually took information from one pa- like a newer paper at the time, um, and we kind of built our own 
external tag that we could actually reuse. So that was one of the limitations of the paper was that we only had a certain number of tags at our disposal, and then we would have to go retrieve them. Um, so that was kind of a, a barrier to collecting enough data. Um, and then the other thing that changed was during the course of the project, um, the Bahamas actually changed their permitting process for research in the Bahamas. Um, and that wasn't resolved by the time that my time at the lab was scheduled to end. Um, so instead of, you know, throwing the whole project away, <laughs> um, the lab was super generous and let me kind of make something of a data set that nobody else had used yet, which was awesome. So eventually they, they let you leave the island and uh, you came back to Milwaukee uh, where you're back in the Carvan lab, this time in charge of the, the husbandry of those zebra fish and fathead minnows. Mm-hmm. Um, is it much different than your time there as an undergraduate or do you have a few more added responsibilities? I definitely have more responsibilities now. Um, I have more of a hand in the research aspects of the lab. Um and I'm also working with, you know, other staff members. So I'm coordinating other people now um, and training all the new people who come into the lab. Um, and then, yeah, just a lot more kind of planning and logistics than I had as an undergrad when I was, you know, working part time and feeding fish, I'm doing a lot more emails and <laughs> things like that now. What is the next step for Elise? Are you looking to stick around Milwaukee for the rest of your career or uh, hopefully make it back to the ocean to, to do more shark and ray stuff? The plan is definitely to try to do some more shark and ray stuff. Um, right now, while I'm doing the lab managing and things like that, um, I am working on publishing that stingray paper. So I don't want to give too many details in the podcast cause it's not done yet, but um but I am working on writing up that paper and hope to have it published um, pretty soon here. (laughs) Um, But the other thing that I'd really like to do is go to grad school, Um, definitely for a master's and maybe for a PhD also. Um, I'm super interested in animal movement, which is why I was initially wanting to do that telemetry project with the stingrays. Um, So I'd love to do more um, shark and ray movement research if possible. And I guess one of the, one of the things you'll be doing in the, the nearer future is, uh, you've agreed to step in and help host the fisheries podcast. So first, thank you for, for volunteering to step into that role. I guess what first got you interested in science communication? Um, well, I, I feel like I've, since I was a kid, I've been talking people's ears off about, sharks in the ocean. And, um, I figured why not try to make it part of my job? (laughs) Um, I also think it's just really important that like science doesn't happen just among scientists. Um, I think that we've seen, especially with how the public has received information about climate change, that what we're, what we have had been doing wasn't working. Um, I think it's cool to see that more recently, like especially on social media and things like that, that um, that more and more people are getting interested and involved in science, even if it's not their, you know, career. Um, so things like citizen science and volunteer 
work and things like that are opening up to so many more people who, you know, maybe wouldn't have otherwise gone that route. Um, and then as far as podcasting goes, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts. So when I saw the ad, I thought, oh, that could be cool. Like, why don't I try spreading some some fish facts around instead of, you know, just at the dinner table, maybe have a little bit of a wider audience. What are you most looking forward to as as a host of the fisheries podcast? I'm definitely looking forward to talking to other scientists about their research um, and kind of expanding, you know, into the network of maybe non-shark people or, you know, research that I had never heard of before. I'm pretty excited about just getting to talk to people about what they're what they're working on and, um, you know, their different experiences in research. One thing I learned at the Shark Lab working so closely with so many people was that people come into the, these fields from so many different places and um, different paths. So it'll be cool to kind of be able to chat with people about what brought them here. I didn't cross my mind to ask until now, uh, but while you were at Bimini, were you the furthest, were you the person furthest from an ocean that was there or was there somebody that was even further inland? There was somebody from Colorado who was there with me. Um, There was another gal from St. Louis. I don't want to leave anybody out. Those are the two people who come to mind for sure. So with all these inland people going to the marine realm. I think it's just, you know, it's so much more accessible now. Um, I've heard a lot of people talk about like going to the aquarium with their family or shark week or, you know, just seeing cool pictures of sharks and thinking, how do I see that in person? (laughs) The ocean is very cool and I'm happy to um, be able to share it with people who might not otherwise get to see it or think to go see it. You're answer two answers ago you you mentioned that you were uh excited to talk to other shark researchers and and also uh hopefully talk to some people that are not shark researchers just so you uh get to know what they're doing too i guess do you have any other sneak peeks into the type of guests that you're hoping to bring on to your episodes um not at the moment. I think the people that I have in mind that I would like to bring onto the podcast have all have, you know, a huge breadth of knowledge when it comes to different species of fish. Um, I know them all because of their shark uh, work, but I'm excited to talk to them about non-shark fish as well. Well, at least thank you for, for coming on the show to introduce yourself to to the audience a little bit more and and also thank you for volunteering to step up and be a host for the fisheries podcast Uh, but as a host that doesn't make you immune from our final five questions that we ask each of the guests at the end of the show and we always start real simple with what is your favorite fish so you say this is the simple one but i think this is the hardest one um yeah i don't know i actually you know what right now i think i'm really into um lake sturgeon that's the first guy that comes to mind for me right now um we have them in the great lakes i've never seen one uh outside of an aquarium but they are like huge sea puppy or i guess lake puppies they're so cute um they're super gentle but they're also like massive so i love them 
What is your favorite memory from your career so far? Um, obviously, tons of awesome shark and stingray uh, experiences. Um, it's hard to pick just one, but on that note, I think it's really just any time you're in the ocean and you find what you're looking for. Um, cause the ocean is huge and vast and like, especially working with larger animals that aren't as commonly seen, um, being able to work with like great hammerheads, for instance, um, which is like critically endangered species, um, is very special. Um, and then another just kind of more specific thing that was cool is, um, when I was at Shedd Aquarium, I got to work with some cuttlefish and kind of befriend a common cuttlefish there. I don't know if she actually wanted to be my friend, but <laughs> she was cool. <laughs> and I think I have an idea where this one's going to go, but what is your dream job or dream location that you want to work in? I loved working on an island um, and just being surrounded by the ocean on all sides. That felt really nice. Um I'd love to work someplace warm and I'm sure what you expect to hear is that I want to work with sharks. <laughs> that was it. If money was not an issue, what is one project that you would like to work on? I would love to do studies on mass migrations um, of animals specifically with regard to both geographical movements around the earth and, um, movements to different depths of the ocean. I know there are a lot of animals that travel within the water column a lot. Um, and I would love to kind of look into either daily or, you know, yearly movements within the water column of different species. All right. And the final question, if there was one point or one principle that you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? I thought about this one for a while and I'm going to go with humans are nature. I think we've distanced, distanced ourselves a lot with, you know, buildings and sidewalks and things like that. Um, and I think it's easy to forget that humans are animals who were made to be outside. <laughs> um, and then with that, I also think expanding access to the outdoors is super important um, so that everybody can experience the outdoors safely. Well, Elise, thank you for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure hearing about you and and your journey so far in your early career. If people want to find out more information or get a hold of you, what would be the best way to do that? Um, I have an Instagram where I post about sharks and other fish. Um, it's at Elise underscore the underscore mermaid. And then um, I can also send over my email. If anybody wants to shoot me an email, I'm happy to um, talk with whoever wants to learn more about stingrays. <laughs> And moving forward, you can get a hold of Elise or anyone else with the Fisheries Podcast at any of our social media uh, channels on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Fisheries Pod or old-fashioned email feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast logo shirts and hoodies available on Teespring. I am Nick Kramer, and thank you for listening to the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, humans are nature.